I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop podcast. To find out about our upcoming events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. Thank you. Can you hear us? Or can you hear me, anyway, to start with? Um, Paul and I have just been discussing when we first met, and we know it was in the 1980s, but we're not prepared to commit to a date. Um, The reason we met was because in the 1980s, the piazza in Covent Garden, we were still all quite excited that it hadn't actually been demolished. And it was still a place where there were small shops and slightly interesting... Um, ventures going on and I used to spend a lot of my time when I was supposed to be at work wandering around there and in the lower level of the piazza there was this place called Cabaret Mechanical Theatre and it was very brightly painted kind of end of the pier very jolly except that outside it there was this huge life-size mechanical skeleton which was a bit odd and um, it was sort of two-thirds of a skeleton in a glass box, perspex box. And um, if you put 50p in, something would happen. So I put the 50p in. And it was called The Last Judgment. And um, in the ribs, the souls in purgatory revolved. In the skull, the righteous, who looked incredibly boring and smug, sat in their pews applauding. And in the basement, um, the devils... Uh, who were having some time off from the routine of tormenting, um, had a cafe. And they were playing pool and, you know, generally relaxing. So obviously the next thing to do is to go into Cabaret. And we'll talk more about Cabaret later. But in there were a number of pieces by the same mind that had produced The Last Judgment. And they varied in their kind of effect. And themes emerged... Um, this was obviously done by someone who had a deep desire to puncture the self-satisfaction of cats various things nasty happened to cats Um, some things depended on their title there was a very charming almost like a child's toy scene of sailors sitting around apparently a roast turkey and when you press the button because your buttons were free once you'd paid to get in um, and they all banged their knives and forks but it was called the last dodo so it was kind of unpleasant And then there were a lot of things that featured Anubis, the Egyptian god of the dead. So I decided I must find out who was behind all this. And in those days, I worked for Country Life magazine. And so I went down to see Paul, and I'm not sure who was more surprised, Paul or the editor of Country Life, that we suddenly had this four-page feature on um, moving models of Anubis, in one case, drawing sausage. So I thought I'd start this conversation with you, because you know all this. Um, why Anubis? Well, he seemed like a good idea at the time, I mm-hmm. think. No, well, and also, 
making effigies of animals is easier than making effigies of people. People have to have expressions on their faces and dogs usually look pretty dumb to me most of the time. I mean, to their owners, they probably seem to be fascinating and interesting things. But I think that putting an animal head on a human body is an interesting thing to do. And I wanted to liberate uh, Anubis from this Egyptian thing of being that way, then that way, then that way. So, so that, was, that was one thing. But it was sort of... I mean, I'm worried about this because um, Crafts Magazine sent Dayan Sujik down, who's later gone on to bigger things, um, who wrote an article for Crafts Magazine about me, and he said I was whimsical. And it's always rankled. Because, I mean, you can be, I can be whimsical choosing to do Anubis once, but 40 or 50 times. Yeah, that, yeah it's what accident. You know, there's method there, isn't there? There's some kind of Yeah. Though no, I remember you got quite cross because I said there was a slight air of obsession about some of your work. And you have reminded me that, of that obsessively for the last 30 Stop years. Stop it. Yeah. No, <laughs> um, no, it's not, not obsessive. No. No, no, I agree. It's not right. obsessive and it's okay. not whimsical. Don't so, start a fight now because... Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, good time to go. Um, so, yeah, would you mind just sort of taking us back to the beginning? Because your first thing was this Anubis drawing a sausage thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was a perfect... Well, I like to have justifications for things, even if I've only thought of them after I've made the thing. So, the... The sausage, Anubis, Lord of the Mummy Wrappings, in charge of preservation of bodies or, you know, sending, sending flesh on to the other world. And uh, a sausage is, is a perfect uh, representative, preservation of flesh. Uh, and that all seemed to fit quite nicely to me. And I, I would write on the ends of these things, the, the sides, uh, this justification. So it didn't seem, didn't seem unreasonable that Anubis should, if he materialised in modern times, would be interested would be, in would be sausage. sausage. Stuff with preservatives, <laughs> yeah. aren't they? Absolutely <laughs> rammed with preservatives, unless you get um, you know, artisan sausage. Yes. Which are uh, Right, OK. Well, <laughs> I can tell we're not going to get any other <laughs> no, Well, there's nothing, there's nothing no, sort of metaphysical. It's, or, it's I just don't, I, when I write, when I, when I mention Anubis, I always put capitalise his, his name, so it's his with a capital H. Yes. So there is something slightly kind of, um, uh, um, you know, I'm, I could possibly be recruited as a, a priest of Anubis, if called upon. But nobody's been knocking on the door. That's good. We'd be worrying if they had. Um, but I think, and I think the other thing um, that maybe goes with Dayan Sujic suggesting you were whimsical... Um, is he wasn't the... suggesting, he was telling me. That's pretty <laughs> But the idea of whimsy comes from the fact that people expect anything that moves to be either a bit like a toy or to be like those amazing 18th century um, mechanical figures, which are incredibly skillful, but they're all craft. And I remember one of the things you explained to me when I came down to see you was that that was called smooth automatry, and you did not belong to the smooth school, you belonged to the school of rough automatry. Yeah. Well, it, lets, it sort of lets you off, uh, having to make things perfectly. I mean, I'm not saying that I don't admire those, those things, but I think they've fitted into the late 18th century very nicely, 
and and they were sort of philosophically out at the time. Um, but there are still people who make very I know, exquisite. I know, but they're the people who make watches. You know, they, I think uh, the Jacques Droz factory, who have the name, but I think it's Badge Engineering. Uh, then they they make they made watches. Um, you know, these enormous watches that rich people wear. But if you run out of arm, then you, you <laughs> might need something else. And they've started making automata again of that sort, of that they, they write and they play musical instruments and things. Uh, but I, th- I think they're more or less mechanical corpses. I don't think there's yes. that much fun. It's not, they're not fun. No, I mean, the, the rough thing is, because it wasn't just you. I mean, there was in Cabaret, there was uh, Peter Markey, there was yeah. Tim Hunkin. And you would have, what about that sort of school, that group? Well, I, well, were you because we're, we're ideas driven by ideas, I think, and uh, and jokes. And and Hunkins always said that he makes mechanical cartoons, and I have always said it too. I mean, that's that's what it is. You, you're trying to make. It. I mean, the the ironic thing is that you think of a joke that takes you a moment, and then you spend a week or two weeks or a month. Yeah, making it into a thing that people can comprehend. And th- th- that begins to get a little bit smooth, really. That begins to get a little bit Do you have to kind of hold yourself stuff. back from yeah. veering towards smoothness? Oh, absolutely, all the time. Me, <laughs> me particularly. I'm the worst of them, really. I'm the nearest to a smooth automatist uh, in, this, in this sort of group, community of, uh, <laughs> of uh, automatists. I don't even like being called an automatist. In fact, I'm liking it less and less. I'm right, OK, so what are you then? I'm an alternative artist now, I think. Oh, you are, yeah. are you? Because yeah. for a long time, we've got down here, um, on our list of things that we thought we would talk about, it says, um, I've put, is it art, in, question mark, in, in quotes, and you've said, in brackets, shouldn't take long. No. Um, <laughs> so, but I, I'm going to make you take a little moment about this, because the whole thing about moving sculpture which was fine in the Middle Ages. And, I mean, Leonardo made sculptures yeah. that moved, and it was taken all very seriously. Yeah. Um, and then some, at some point you get this beginning of a long decline into it just being toys and silly. And then, I mean, when does it begin? Is it Alexander Calder? I mean, was it who was it who kind of you what? noticed? Because you've made moving sculptures at art school. I did, yeah. You did? Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you know, I'm not sure. Did you like Calder? Yes, yeah. I, I, but I think I probably liked Calder after I'd started. I think I sort of... I mean, there, there are machines in my family, really, so I, I think that making things was uh, an objective. So how do machines, as it were, run in your family? Uh, my, dad was, my dad was an engineer. Uh, it was in the Royal Engineer. He was one of these... He was one of these people who couldn't understand how people didn't get 100% in maths exams. You know, well, you know it's obvious. You know, what's... Did you get 100% in maths? <laughs> I never, no, I just wrote my name on the O-level paper. No, it's just useless. I can't even count my change in a pub. I'm just hopeless at all that. No, so, you know, my dad and I, we, we sort of parted company in, in that area. But there was, it was just a sense, he was always sort of taking machinery to pieces and he, he was a motorbike man and a bicycle man. 
I think a lot of these people start with bicycles and they've got a bike and they take it to bits and then they put other bits together and then he was motorbikes and for a lot of my childhood he was making motor cars so he'd get several motor cars that didn't work and put them together and one, one of them sort of would <laughs> uh, and he was always sort of sucking petrol through tubes to make them work uh, and uh, I, I in my family, I think there, there seem to be always a, a, problems. There were mechanical pro- All problems were mechanical, and all solutions were mechanical. So, you know, there was little time for any sort of subtleties or poetry, any of that sort of nonsense. So I, think I, I think I did grow up with that idea that machines but, but were the things that mattered. But then you went to art school? Then I went to art school, yeah. So how did yeah. that go down with your dad? He was mystified. He's been mis- well. He's dead, but but he's been, he spent the last years of his life being mystified about me. But he he carried on um, making machines. He 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 retired to Cyprus uh, and had a shed. We all have sheds, um, and uh, he spent all his time making machines. He'd make a machine tool that would make another machine tool, and that in turn would make another one. So he'd do things like spending weeks making a hacksawing machine, uh, which, would, which would then be used to saw up metal to make a lathe or a milling machine or a you know, bandsaw or something. But actually the time he spent making, sawing the thing out, making to make the hacksaw, uh, he could easily have hacksawed it by hand. And, yes, but that would, have, that would have been quite wrong. Well, I mean, that's another, because that's another interesting thing that... I remember from when I very first talked to you, um, the idea that the mechanism is the driver of the idea as well as the driver of the machine. I remember you saying to me, because I was a bit puzzled by this, and you said, well, you said, if you've got a wheel and you put pins in it um, off centre, I can't remember the correct word, and you said, and if you, then t- you said, if you then turn that, then it's like a model going down a catwalk. Yeah. Well, it's right, because you lift The number of people who would put asymmetric pins in the wheel and then think, I'll make that into a... So what I'm interested in is the way that the mechanical idea comes yeah. first, sometimes. It, it's ideally, the, the, the two things just... Come together. Fit together, yeah. The, 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 the idea and, and the mechanism. Because usually the things I make... Uh, have a top and a bottom, mm-hmm. and, and I'm going to pass this round actually, so you can play with it. Um, but I mean, this is a sort of what does it do? There's a there's a lever. It's kind of it's a little bit like what I, what you were describing there, because that goes there's that thing that goes up and down. <laughs> this is called the Invisible Man and the Invisible Woman on their honeymoon. So, so uh, I'm going to let you uh, play with that and pass it round. And if I hear it going every now and then, it will make me think somebody's lost interest in this talk. <laughs> no, uh, well, it just seems, it sort of seems natural to me, really, Rosemary. Yes, That's well, it's a way of thinking. Um, but you do also draw, you draw a lot. Yeah. So where, at what point, I'm sure it's not the same every time, but where do the mechanisms, the drawings, and then the building of the actual thing, do they all go on at the same time? Do you go back it's, and draw at a certain point, or once you've drawn it, do you then go ahead and do it's, it? It's, it's, it's ambitious conjecture. Mm. It's wordless, ambitious conjecture. Uh, uh-huh. 
which is something that Dylan Thomas said about his poem. Somebody asked him whether he'd written a particular poem because they were waiting for it. Yes. And he said, in half, he made notes about half of it. He thought of the rest, and the rest was um, radiantly word unworded in ambitious conjecture. And I think that that sort of went bong in my head when I yeah. read that recently because you can describe I mean I could describe something like this if I describe this thing to you it'd take about 20 minutes and you still wouldn't get it <laughs> but if I showed it to you yes yes right yeah. see it works yeah it does doesn't it but I, I'm, I'm absolutely stumped as to how to uh, describe that to you but this, yes, because but you do do a lot of drawings, but they never yeah, look no. like the well, same. I, no, but I do the I yeah. do the drawings, and I can I can I can understand that from drawing it, yeah. that particular thing. But that tells me all sorts of things. That that I've made things with um, four faces. Yes. So you've seen that the policeman, a good cop, bad cop, yes. where where a face rotates very suddenly, yeah. whips around like that, and you've got a new face. He's got he's got two ears, which are also noses. Yes. And he's got four, four eyes and four mouths. Hooray! Yeah. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I, I sort of speak the language of those things. So, and the drawings, I, I can, to an extent, draw and, and then uh, imagine the, the, the machinery itself. But you do use... Language, language as well, as I say. The, the, speechy uh, language. Speechy language, because, yeah. I mean, the, the titles, yeah. um, the, the Last Dodo is not, um, is not terribly sinister until you read the title. No, well, I've, I have been known to make an edition of something and then title them all differently. So, because, well, that's one of the things, that's one of the joys of making these things. In fact, one of the things that relieves the tedium of making more than one is that you can call them different things. So there's little ones with, with um, Anubis riding a camel. Yes. I think I made about 20 or 30 of those, and I thought I'll give them all a different little label on the back. They, they have label. That one, that one bonging one, has a, a little label on it. Uh, and, and that's part of, part of the fun of doing it. Is well, it's also, you have said that um, part of the pleasure of doing um, an edition, and even more if you retitle it, is as a kind of antidote to the collector mentality because yeah. it kind of drives them mad because there yes. isn't. They need the set. Yeah, collect the set. Yeah. Well, yes. we, well, I'm I'm much amused by collect and, and very grateful <laughs> uh, to, to collectors. But it is it is an, an old thing. But it's it's a true thing of people that you, you've got one right, so you got one, and yeah. you can live with that. Yeah. But then you get another that fits into the same category, and then you're on the sort of slippery slope to wanting a third. And there are people, yes, know, thank goodness, uh, who who uh, who want a lot, and you know, it's it's one of those things that we do. I mean, I've got I've got collections of I collect things just for silly reasons. I've got a collection of flat frogs that you might have seen, frogs that have been run over. Yes, uh, yes, and I nail them on the on yes. the beams of my shed. Yes, and they're all rotting now. Sort of they rotting. Yes. Off. Um, no, I haven't been in your shed for a while. No, 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 I wouldn't. Don't recommend um, it. No. And there's the, the other kind of collecting, which is the collecting box. Because, I mean, the, how do you actually make 
a career as a not an automatist. Um, one way is to find the collectors who will buy the finished objects. Yeah. And the other way, which is one of the things I loved about Cabaret, the whole enterprise of Cabaret, was that everybody for... Is it 50p or 10p? 20, yeah, the, okay. 20. The skeleton was 20, but not was 50, really excuse me. You know, I don't want to be greedy. Um, um, but everybody, it was when you put the money in, it was your work of art yeah. for the long, yeah. as long as it lasted yeah. for 20p. Yeah. Um, and then, and it was that was absolutely great. And you've done a lot of collecting boxes for um, one of which I half voiced um, for museums mm. and. Um, would you like to tell people about the one for Greenpeace that didn't work? Yeah, well, I, well, well, it would be cowardly of me not to it would, uh, yes. respond to that. that yes. But it didn't work very well at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a, it, it was a, it was a little scene on top of the box, and there was, I think there were four seals on it. Yeah, four seals on it, and there were four little men in high vis jackets whacking it with clubs and and it just went all the time and you had to pay it to stop <laughs> and one day it just stopped and never started again as far as I remember there yeah yes. so yeah. I, I think that covers that I think that covers and you've said that the whole process of making and I think a lot of people in a lot of different fields will identify with this is a process of kind of steady or unsteady disillusionment from the moment when you think hey yeah. I've got a great idea yeah. Yeah. Um, you still think that yeah I do yeah, yeah well the, the main pleasure in making these things for me is the process of making them I'm it's a bit like if you're in, in business and, and you, you have the first briefing and you all go to the pub and, you know, it, it, it's all very inchoate, it's all sort of up in the air. And you, you imagine, you know, that uh, everything's going to be great. Then I, you can do drawings and that's, that's okay. Um, then, you, then you start making bits of it and it sort of goes all right for a while. And usually with machines... You put one part of the mechanism in place and then you have to put the next one in and it gets in the way. The first one gets in the way of the second one and then the second one gets in the way of the third one. And you think, oh Christ, I've got to sort of drill all those holes again or throw that box away. Or... And it does become tedious. It turns a pleasure into a sort of tedium. And uh, sometimes, sometimes it's fun almost all the way through. Nearly always when it's finished, I'm sick to death of the thing, uh, and I'd rather I haven't started. I think oh, I'll do something, or, you know, get a proper job or something. No. Well, no, I, no, no. People who've been self-employed for I think is it three years are unemployable anyway. I so, so yeah. Uh, you know, forty years. Uh, <laughs> yes. No, 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 you're, no not gonna, you're not no, going to get a job. It's all over. Um, but one of, one of the sequence, well, it's not a sequence, one of the groups of works that you made that I thought were incredibly, particularly interesting were the butcher's shops. And I wondered if you wanted to talk about those, because that's another... Um, well, maybe it sort of all dates from Anubis and the Sausage, um, but you're, they're based on Victorian toy butcher's shops, which were very popular. Um, with the very um, beautifully painted hands and things. I'm going to correct you there, Rosemary. Oh, okay. They weren't on. toys. Well, the, the, the Museum of Childhood says they weren't toys. Oh, right, uh, okay. They were put in the windows of butcher's shop. Butchers oh, right. would buy them, put them in the window, 
weekends or whenever they weren't yes. there. Right? Um, and they, and they, were, they were very, very beautiful things. I, I was just entranced by them. Uh, and one of the most attractive things was the way you could make little models of legs of lamb and sides of beef and things. And uh, I was attracted by that. But I was also attracted by another aspect of them, which was you'd have the shop there, and then above the shop were little windows with net curtains over them, uh, and nothing inside. But I, I volunteered to uh, show what was inside, and it was usually something pleasant happening, something lovely. They, they're enjoying the the fruits of, of the butchery that went on downstairs. The butcher was quite a brutal-looking bloke, usually, with meeting eyebrows and, you know, and kind of, you know, um, a Brexiteer kind of person. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, but upstairs, something lovely was happening, and one of the ones I liked doing most was one where there's a butcher, I think, I think the, the one with the, the wolves, yeah, number, I think it was the second one I made. Does he, is he the one that pushes his way through? Yeah, but the, the butcher, there's all these dangling, sorry, I, that's, my, that's my memory stick there. Uh, yeah, I know, it's all right, paid her, paid her, it's okay. Uh, no, he's, there are all these hanging carcasses and he sort of swims through the carcasses and they all push to one side. And it's sort of beautiful but horrible because he's a yes. nasty-looking bloke. Um, and then, then it opens up, and inside there's a forest, and there's a pregnant woman lying in the middle. Lights go on. Uh, light goes on to her tummy, which is pulsing expectantly. Uh, and then surrounding, surrounding her, there are a lot of wolves. Uh, and a lot of people take that as pretty threatening and unpleasant. But actually what they're doing is they're apprenticed midwife wolves and they're just waiting for her to give birth and to assist and to be nice. <laughs> have I said it properly? Yeah. Um, yes, you have. Yes, yes, I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly true in a lot of your pieces. The thing that looks happy and innocent turns out not to be and vice versa. Probably you vice quite versa. quite like yeah. playing on expectations and also that I, I can't remember who it was the writer from whom you picked up that phrase most people will tolerate a certain amount yeah. of meaninglessness in their lives yeah. um, it, it was a woman called Caroline M. Bloomer I don't know how I remember that I've not, not mentioned her name for about 20 years no, 2004 that was so, however many years it is back from, yeah, 14 years or something, yeah. Caroline M. Bloomer wrote a book. But the idea of meaninglessness and repetition yeah. and... Most um, people can tolerate a certain and make, Most people can... All the time, But sure. then your, and your pieces are built on the idea of repetition. Yeah, I know. Well, I have no choice in that. <laughs> well, you do. You don't have to do... I that. could stop, yes. You could stop. But I yeah. mean, you... They're based on the idea that they have to, physically, literally, they have to repeat. Yeah. Um, but then they're also based on subverting that idea, so you don't get bored looking at them. Well, that's up to... Well, I okay, get bored looking at them, well, you yes, know. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no. Well, it's, well they, they're meant to be fun. It's a problem with those things. But then, you know, uh, 
the Venus of Urbino doesn't move at all. No, exactly. <laughs> so, um, and indeed, having said that, that um, Anubis is easier to do than people, I mean, one of um, the most startling of your early pieces is a recreation of Manet's Olympia, yeah. in which the servant coming in with the tray, which has camp coffee on it, is Anubis, yeah. who's quivering with overexcitement. Yeah. And um, Olympia's midriff revolves in the most striking way. Well, it's, a, well, it's sort of... And, and it's a, a mechanical way as well. I was going to say, you must, yeah. that must have been something you saw as a mechanism and thought that would yeah. be very funny if it that was would, a tummy. Well, I'd, yeah, well, well because when, if you make little puppety things and, they, and you can make a little figure with a, a circular mm. tummy and you wiggle it, as you might be, might just do casually if you're making a little wooden thing. You might sort of wiggle its tummy. And then all the other bits will wobble around in, in sympathy. Well, because they're forced, really. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a thought that has probably occurred to quite a number of people. Um, and, and uh, you know, having the skills, I was able to uh, take advantage of that. And um, I don't know why... I'm not sure why Manet's Olympia at first, but I, you know, I mean, I got, I got on with it. I got into it. So, um, uh, I, and and I, I drew. It is funny actually trying to think why you hit on some thing. But actually, no. The, 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 what you're asking about how how does the where does the movement and the idea come together? They do pretty well. Perfectly in that they do. So, yeah, no, it's a great piece. Yeah. I, do, then, I still don't know why Anubis is bringing her camp coffee. Well, it's it, because it's it, it's a parody of the of the original painting. Yes. It's got all the all the same. It's got the woman with no clothes on. Um, and I thought, well, when that painting was done, everybody came and shouted at that painting because she was she was looking looking at you, looking at the men in top hats. Uh, Shamelessly, that was the thing about her. She looked at you like this. I imagine I got no clothes on. You know what? <laughs> uh, you know. Um, and then I thought, um, well, that's not. This is the justification. This is post-making post it. Justification was well. Nowadays, you know, there's loads of people with no clothes on staring at you, aren't there? I mean, on the tube and things. Nearly, nearly no clothes on, anyway. We're not, we're kind of, we, I know, Rosemary, you live a, a sheltered life, but, you know. Uh, and I thought, well, the justification was that you can add this movement to it, which would make mm. it all the more appalling. Mm. Um, and then uh, in the picture, there's a, 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 a servant woman who's got, who's bringing her flowers wrapped in newspaper, and I sort of transformed that into Anubis, because that's what I did in those days. I don't mm. automatically put Anubis in things anymore, but at the time I did. And it, it uh, as, a, as a composition, it helped, having him up there, so it's a nice yes. triangular composition. Um, and he, I, I concocted a story about a pharaoh who, whose favourite concubine, um, I think it was a bit Scheherazade, uh, and his favourite concubine, he wanted to keep her awake for a bit longer because he was busy in the office or something. <laughs> uh, so he sent his servant Anubis with the camp coffee 
Well, I don't know if it does keep you awake or not, but, but anyway, that was, that was the idea of it. Right, well, thank you, because I've wondered about that for a long time. I'm, really, um, I'm so glad I can help you out there. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Coming more recently up to date. The sound in your pieces has got more important, and you've been doing a lot with pipe organs. Yeah. Say something about that. If you insist. Yes, well, I've got, insist, pipe, yes. I've got a pipe here. I, uh, well, I've always liked these. I've got a bit of a cuckoo clock here, Jeff. That's either the cook or the oo. And making that bit mm. is, is really, really easy. I mean, it's just like making a pencil box, and I... And, I got hold of. I met a man at a party. He was a chemist, I think, and he said, um, "Oh, you're, I'm interested in the sort of thing you do, and I've been making an organ for the last nine years, and I'm halfway <laughs> there because uh, he got these plans." And he told me what the plans were, and uh, I sent for them and got them. And I, it was really easy to do. I mean, you have to make a lot of little pipes. You make you, this, this, the organs I make have only got twenty pipes in them, and they're you know, right. Nice. Which makes a bit a nice like you're down to saying not being able to understand why people couldn't do maths, isn't it? When you just look, say look, just make twenty look, organs. I mean, it's, you know, it's not. It's not hard. Um, and uh, and there was it was an ingenious mechanism this chap had devised that used punched paper. Uh, so, um, 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 what, like uh, a, humming, a it, pianola? It, it is, it's like a pianola, only it's positive pressure. What you do is you put the piece of paper in a box and seal it, uh, and the only outlet is through the pipes. Right? So you blow air into the, into the box, and then you run the paper over uh, a, a, a sort of the, the thing with the holes in it's called the keyframe, mm-hmm. technical organ people. Uh, and so the air comes from the pressurised box through the keyframe via the hole in the paper. And so each hole in the paper represents uh, a note. You crank it through and blow, and, and it makes a tune. And do you want to talk about the, the, the piece that you're making at the moment? The, what, this one? That one, that one, yeah. yeah I'm making that this, one you've already referred yeah. kind of obliquely to it. Yeah, I've, well, I've, I thought about three years ago... Uh, I thought, I want to make a thing that has a hundred people standing on it. And 48 of them will go one way and 52 of them will go the other way. Because <laughs> uh, I don't see there's a big difference between 48 and 52, frankly. Uh, and it's, I, don't say it's an, I don't say that one overwhelms the other as a majority. I mean, I'm thinking very basic terms about these things. But... Um, so I made this thing. I thought, I'll make 100 people, and then I'll think what to do with them. <laughs> uh, and I, I did. I made 100 people. Um, I made their heads first, and then I made their bodies. Um, 
And then I thought, oh, Christ. I put them all How on the floor. It? it was bloody huge. It was, yeah. you know, it was about six feet across if they were all standing. And, uh, and then I thought, I'd have to make an organ, because I, I make organs now. Um, but I, I made it with an electronic MIDI system, which means that instead of paying a man in Melton Mowbray to punch the paper for me, uh, you just get these little memory sticks poke them in with the, with the tune embedded in it and it would play hundreds of tunes, literally hundreds of tunes, one little thing. So uh, I, I made the organ bit uh, and then I made uh, two sort of carriages and I put them, 48 of people on one side, 52 on the other, selected randomly. Of course. Uh, and I made a mechanism that that as the organ plays, the two carriages move, I called it the English Spring. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and the two parts, first of all, they're all standing there looking at you, and they all shun each other, you know, they all shun, they move in a shunning mechanism, and then they all drift apart, and, it's, and it, then it stops. So there's oh, no hanging No, what I was going to do is... Put, left in limbo. Uh, it, well, no, then it sort of goes back. But um, no, what I was going to do was have some ghastly thing <coughs> in the gap in the middle. Some, some horrible entity would take possession of this space. But what I did, because I ran out of time, it's, it's in the art gallery in Falmouth at the moment, but they're just about to chuck it out and I'm going to have it in my shed again, which would mean I can't move. Um, I just put a... I saw an etching by Ensor about um, Leopold II, who was particularly nasty um, king of Belgians and went around chopping people's hands off in Congo and things. Uh, and I, I, I used a quotation from um, that, uh, which said... Uh, what does it say soon? I've forgotten it. It says, what is it you want? What do you want? Aren't you happy? Uh, in French. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, I've got O-level I've got O-level French, just. And it seemed like that's what it said to me. Yep. Um, first person to see it was a French woman. And she said, <laughs> she said that's the most atrocious French. Even a, that is like schoolboy French. Well, this is Ensor, who's Belgian, so... Oh. You know, it is. I even got the certain flex accent on. You know, I did it all right, but but that was that was a slight come down. And I had a correspondent, Peter Fluck's wife. Oh right, you know, the, yeah. Uh, who's, who's French? Uh, and we had a sort of correspondence about. But she's now agreed that probably Belgians did talk like that <laughs> in those days. Anyway, that's. But there's more to do. I'm going to make it so it's got two coin slots, one for go and one for stay. And then it will then be, then that will be a sort of new referendum, so, and I get the money. You see. Yeah, it's a win-win. Um, yes. Very good. Um, in a, in a minute or so, I think we should let other people have a go. But I thought because you oh. also, as oh, we've we got to do this. One more. One more. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. You should maybe it's like pass the WI all over um, again. Yes. Um, this is Lytton Strachey. Would you like to explain why? Uh, well, uh, well, I. Sarah, you sent me that lovely little book about, about the Bloomsbury, because this is Bloomsbury, isn't it? I thought, I never, yes. I never, apart from going to the British Museum, I don't know anywhere. But I, it was a very nice little book about, about uh, uh, Bloomsbury. And Lytton Strachey is one of the heroes of this book and is becoming a hero of mine, I think. 
Because one of the things he says is that uh, you can't you can't do intellectual work unless you're completely relaxed. Uh, and and there's lots of pictures in this book of Lytton in deck chairs, draped in deck chairs. And there's that famous Henry Lamb picture of yes. him. You know. uh, anyway, I've made this machine called. Um, uh, Lytton Strachey trying to get comfortable. He's got a deck chair. And he, uh, every now and then he kind of lands in the deck chair. But um, I'm so glad that Jacob Rees-Mogg has made this. He's, he's kind of really... I'm, I'm putting this up by a tenor. It's going up. Uh, but I think Jacob looks like a, a, a sort of... one of those people with beards that you see nowadays. Version. You yes. Know. Yes. Yeah. A, a, a hipster version of, of uh, Jacob Rees Mogg. Hard to imagine. Um, I wouldn't bother if no. I you know. No, but, Are people uh, allowed to turn that round? Yeah, you can, yeah. Because um, yeah. they might like to do uh, that while. You can have um, a Yeah, you probably can't break it. <laughs> he's, no, he's trying to get comfortable, Jenny. He's not succeeding. No. no. <laughs> Would anyone like to ask us, mainly Paul, any questions? Living as I do, not far from Melton Mowbray, I'm concerned that a man's been punching paper and his punched paper hasn't been used to produce music. Could you just explain? So he built an organ, but it runs off uh, an MP3 player. Uh, oh no! Well, there, there, there are, I've done. I've made three. One one works with the punched paper that Melvin Wright, the man in Melton Mowbray, is called. Uh, and he's a very efficient puncher-outer of paper. So you just you can send him, can't you, Matthew? You can send him a MIDI file, and then two days later you get a, a mile of paper back with the, with the tune punched into it. Uh, but I made two that work that way. There's, there's um, one called Les Demoiselles. I called it, um, and it's it's an organ that works with punched paper, but it has a continuous roll in it, uh, which causes lots of technical problems actually. But it means you don't have to wind it back again. Um, but it's got it's got Picasso's Demoiselle d'Avignon on it. It's got Manet's Olympia, quite big on it. It's got the Virgin Mary feeding the baby Jesus pneumatically from one pulsing breast. Uh, and it has uh, two harpies flying around it. It's got a model of Peter Markey. No, it's got a, a grey figure cranking one of Peter Markey's dancing ladies' things on it. Sounds good, doesn't it? And, and, uh, and it's got a Ron, Ron Fuller's, another now regrettably dead um, colleague of mine, uh, because he also made punk, uh, kicking ladies. But it's something that you tend to do. If, if you make mechanical toys, you know. Um, is that enough? The MP3 player is, is in, the, in the big organ. And uh, the day after the private view of the exhibition, a man sent me 80 tunes, most of them German umparish things. But it's, it's lots of fun. I mean, it, 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 and it means that Matthew's written for it, haven't you, Matthew? Yes, Matthew's written a tune, which um, <laughs> it's, uh, it starts off with Shepherd's Hay, the uh, Morris dance, and it, it sort of merges into Tomorrow Belongs to Me from the uh, cabaret. Um, 
Not, not everybody gets that, but I don't care. <laughs> Is there anything else anyone else wants to ask? Jeff Nicholson, what do you want to say? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I'm interested in the relationship between you and your collectors. You seem rather <laughs> sort of sniffy about them there. Um, I haven't, it's not really a question, but how do you feel about them? And, uh, and another question, and do you make them to order, your machines to order? Uh, uh, not, not, not very willingly, no. No, because commissions are difficult, for instance, because I don't like other people's ideas very much. You know. um, and my, I mean, James Horner, who was, you know, massive collector, hopelessly uh, addicted collector, uh, crashed his aeroplane and was dead. Oh. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Yes, it's not no. my fault. No, 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 no. I just <laughs> no. But he was, he was a, he was a um, um, composer of music for films. Uh, Wrote Titanic. You know what happened to that? Yes, I saw those two unearthed something recently, um, and some James Horner fans were allowed to visit the collection. I meant to email it to you, actually. In fact, I thought I had. No, anyway, um, no, and so it's there, and it looks like a jumble sale. You know, I was a bit disappointed because I thought it would be a sort of, you know, monument or <laughs> a temple. But it just looks like a bloody jumble sale, you know, car boot sale. Oh, well, there's, there's, a, a, there's another question behind yeah, me. It's a bit of a segue. You said you don't like other people's ideas. I was going to ask, did you work with Matt Smith? Oh, yeah. No, Matt there, and I... There are other people you'd love to, like, Akio Nishida, Kazuvara. Yeah, no, and... I'd love to work with who's sadly on here anymore. I, I do. I, I work with Tim Hunkin a bit. Oh, yeah. I, I do the fiddly bits. I do the faces and things sometimes. That he can't be bothered to do, or they don't look like faces. You know. So <laughs> I do that. And well, Kazoo, Tim is very I, much the chainsaw school of all technology. Uh, Tim, is, Tim, is, uh, Tim is rough. Yes, yeah. very rough. But he's, you know, he knows how to do rough. You know, some of us can take, can carry rough off. <laughs> is Hunky? No, he isn't. He's in Suffolk, isn't he? There's somebody over there who would sure? like oh. to right. ask a question or make a remark. Um, have you made anything really big? Like you started off, I think, with a, a skeleton in yeah, uh, Covent no. Garden that was possibly actual size. Yeah, no, have no. You... Well, we, Ride of Life, Ride of oh Life. Oh God, the Ride of Life. Yeah, no. Um, what? It's another. No, I have made bigger, big things. What? Oh, well, they're sort of big. We, yeah, that was the luxury goods. Um, adventure where I made things with Will Jackson, brother, um, uh, for Louis Vuitton, who who I'd never heard of uh, when they <laughs> when they when they came. What, they were what well, were those? Well, you know those that that luggage that they, yes, they, they make luggage. luggage. Uh, we all know the luggage. And, yes. And they stamp it with their monogram. They're yes. where the rot set in with all this stuff with people having yeah, Nike yeah. and stuff written all over them. And that was in. 18 something or other uh, and they were having a, a centenary exhibition and their brilliant idea was to commission a lot of designers eight I think you were there, you went to the thing didn't you um, uh, to design bags Yeah. I gave them a couple of years to do it and then 
thought, oh, well, we want some of these charming automata things to hang the bags on, and gave us about six weeks to do it. And it was it's still, I think, Willie and I still think it was the most awful thing we ever did. Uh, and we were forced to go to... They had these parties all over the place. Forced to go to Paris, forced to go to Tokyo, Madrid, uh, so Hong tough. Kong... Um, uh, and uh, just to make sure they still work, which I think they nearly did, except people would nick bits of them. But they'd only they'd nick a hand. It was because oh they were God. figures. They'd nick a hand because it had a Louis Vuitton bag on it. So it was, <laughs> right, I'll have that. <laughs> and these were the toffs who went to their toffs, you know, customers who went to their parties. It was a, a very unedifying thing. Yeah, but you know. Yeah. So never again. They'll never ask again. <laughs> no, no, that's not going to happen. Yes, what did you... Lady there in the yellow. Hello, um, I'm interested if you use anything in the way of some of the later technology you've got around these days, like 3D printing or laser cutters. No, you no. Don't sound for no, those. No, hammer and chisel. No, <laughs> no, fret saw. No, I can't. I don't like laser cutting because it leaves a little black mark around there. No, I don't like that. No, no. Sorry. <laughs> you, don't, you don't work for a laser cutter. Don't <laughs> Hello, yes. Um, my mum used to uh, bring me and my brother up to London when we were kids and we were completely entranced by uh, cabaret. And particularly sort of trying to imagine it as a place now, it just seems completely improbable that it ever was there or in Covent Garden. Um, I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how you got involved with that and how that came about. Oh, well, yeah, because that's a whole chapter, that's a whole isn't chapter. it? That is a whole chapter. Well, it, it, I mean, well, Sue Jackson, um, who sadly died very recently, but whose daughter is here, Sarah. Um, and it was Sue, because I did it. When did I do that exhibition at Festival Hall? 92. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> to, and because, you know, you get, you know people and you follow things but you don't actually ever really sit them down and interview them until 30 years later um, and I organised in the loosest sense organised an exhibition at the Festival Hall of Automata based entirely on what I'd learned from Cabaret and from Sue um, and also relying very heavily on Gary who actually made sure the machines kept working day in day out yes I know looking, still looking tired and, um, um, and but by interviewing Sue I realised that she had, because she never made a big thing of this, but I mean, she mortgaged her house twice to keep this thing going. I mean, she, it was the most amazing high-wire act financially, but she so believed in it. Um, And she carried everyone forward. And I mean, the fact that Covent Garden lost Cabaret, um, you know, it was bad luck for for Covent Garden and for us in London. Um, But no, Sue, a very happy memory. This was enormous... Mm. And she somehow got all you lot together, didn't she? She used to call it animating us. <laughs> it annoyed the hell out of me. You say. did at one stage. You did an automaton of Sue working yeah. you with her yeah. foot. Yeah, well, yeah. I was I'm fret sawing. I think yeah, yeah. Mm. Very early on, it, it set in very quickly. Uh, yes. that uh, relationship. Yeah, yeah. And I've always been, you know, pretty enslaved by her. And now Sarah's taken over, so... Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Have you ever worked in any other materials apart from wood? Well, yes, I'm, I mean, I work with anything that works. I, I, I will stoop to using plastic and, uh, and metal. I've got a, you know, I've got a little Myford lathe and I make metal bits. Um, but I don't, what don't I use? I don't mould things. I have done. I, you know, I tried lots of things. It just depends what the job is, really. So I do, yes. Answer's yes. Anyone else? Yes. I was in the park in Falmouth in the summer and I saw the lovely things for the children to play with. Are there any other parks around the country that have No, I haven't done no I Is that not your stuff in there? No, one of them is. This is one of the goat the goat is mine. I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You haven't done any for any other (laughs) (laughs) No, no uh, I've done uh, one piece of public art is on the front of the um, Exeter Art Centre. The Fe- it's called the Phoenix Art Centre because I made a, an, a hydraulic phoenix to go on the front of it. Um, and that was one of those things that was commissioned for the millennium. Uh, and then just sort of when it stopped, because hydraulic things need maintenance, it's never been fixed. So last time, no, last time but one I saw it, it was sort of like this. It was a, a, a bird with a 12-foot wingspan. Uh, and it sort of, when it worked, it lurched out from the front of the building. I'm probably making it sound better than it is. But it's made of copper and, and hydraulic bits and pieces. Uh, and it lurches out. It's got eyes that light up. It's another thing that Will Jackson helped with. Or, well, made, sort of, really. Uh, uh, I wanted it to sort of looked around. It was, and, and it was quite a sort of terrifying thing on the top of the building. Um, and it's had this hydraulic power pack inside it, which was its, its downfall, really, because it was inside the building in the office of the bloke who, at the time, ran the, I think it was the West Country Children's Orchestra. Uh, and when it sta- every hour this thing would start up, and it made a tremendous screeching noise. <laughs> so I think they were quite glad when it kind of... <laughs> needed mending uh, and they didn't call me <laughs> well the children in the park seemed to be enjoying well, it while I was yeah, there was when did you go? in July in Ju- yeah, and it's still July. working? yeah yeah good thanks that's what I like to hear <laughs> yeah. and what about the Eden project? that's another chapter oh sorry you have to come back okay no. <laughs> is there Eden? no no, no. You are, you're not allowed to you've finished your question no, Rosemary, no. no. I've done, I'm, there are things in the Eden Project as well. Yes. They, they hired me and various other people, local people, uh, to make things. But now um, they've sort of gone for uh, people from outside. Actually, from China, I think, they've made the last, the latest thing. Um, and it's okay. But I was standing next to a, a, a man, a Chinese man, and uh, looking at this new exhibit and uh, I said what's this all about and he explained it to me in great detail and uh, I said how do you know all this he said well I made it and, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I said to him oh, I'm the bloke whose stuff we've just chucked out and, put <laughs> <laughs> and he, was, he was very respectful <laughs> But I don't know what happens to those things at the Eden. I don't know, they must have a sort of 
shed somewhere that they put stuff. Another shed. Yeah. Another yeah. shed. Yeah. I think we should probably. Oh, just, just, yeah. What, what happens when the thing don't work? Uh, <laughs> well, um, no, she said, I don't want to hear. No, she said, <laughs> no. Um, well, I, 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 I have lots of sleepless nights. I mean, I dread the phone ringing of somebody saying, you know that thing you made in 1984? It's, it doesn't work, you know. I want another one, or I want something better or different. I, I, it's just awful. It's, I shouldn't do this, because everything does break. It's the only definite thing about... Yeah. That's one of my, my things that I say. It is. the only thing you can be sure of with these machines is that they'll break. Yes. No, I remember when I came to interview you and you just said, you know, that whole thing about anything going like clockwork, that means it's going to break. Break, yes. Yeah. True. Yeah. Cuckoo clock could, though, wasn't it? British Museum, top of the, top of the British Museum cuckoo clock. How old was that? 1860, something like that. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you very much. Um, well, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. To find out more about London Review Bookshop events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.